This is the Criterion Cast, episode 178. Tonight we're recording on Friday, October 28th, 2016. I'm Ryan Gallagher, and joining me tonight, I have a very special guest, Arik Devins. Hey, Arik. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Tonight we are going to be discussing the film from Fritz Lang, the 1933 film The Testament of Dr. Mabusa. This is the sequel to the uh, Dr. Mabusa, The Gambler, which was released about 11 years earlier. Before we get into discussing the film tonight, I have a little bit of follow-up from the last episode uh, that I just released a few days ago in which Wes Anthony and I talked about Eyes Without a Face. So uh, for anyone out there, uh, I haven't actually received any feedback on this, but I wanted to put this out there just so that everyone knows that I know (laughs) that I was mispronouncing the name of the film composer throughout that that episode and uh, I should have gone and looked up how to pronounce his last name uh, before I recorded the episode but I did afterwards and realized that I had been saying it wrong the whole time and that West actually was saying it correctly in the episode and so luckily if anyone was listening to it and you know cringing every time I said Jare instead of Jar uh, I now know how to correctly pronounce Maurice Jar's name it's not Jare there's no A at the end I'm not surprised West had it right I'm not surprised either. (laughs) He does love film scores, and uh, you got to think that he knows uh, what he's talking about when he he says these things. Yeah. Arik is the host of the Cinema Gadfly podcast. He also has a blog that he uh, writes about Criterion Collection titles. He's an iOS developer, and for anyone out there who hasn't heard him, he's been on various episodes of uh, the Criterion cast main episodes. He's been on Chronicles and um, newsstand episodes. Have you been on episodes of the Eclipse Viewer yet? No, I, I, but I believe I am planned, I'm like planned for. Yeah, it's awkward way to say that. I think I will be before it ends. What's going on with uh, Cinema Gadfly these days? So the website's chugging along. Um, I, uh, I, I've been a little bit slow in the last month or two because I was uh, on a trip for a while, but uh, my last one was um, I wrote about uh, the... Um, Czech New Wave film, a report on the party and guests, uh, and, and I'm currently at uh, about 23% of the mainline and uh, 13% of Eclipse written about, but the podcast has been sort of on hiatus. I did, I, I didn't really talk about this much. I did a, an entire year, um, and then I decided, okay, time to take a break and sort of rethink it. Um, I do have some some guests planned, so there should be some more episodes semi soon. But I'm not exactly sure what the what the future of the podcast is right now. Are you going to describe it as like season two or volume two when you start up again? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So again, as I mentioned, we're talking about the Fritz Lang film, The Testament of Doctor Mabusa. This is actually surprisingly, amazingly, the very first Fritz Lang film that we've discussed on the podcast as its wow. own episode. Um, kind of surprising i mean yeah. i guess i guess we have talked about m you know a little bit over the years but we've never done a whole episode on it um but then in thinking really there's only three fritz Lang films uh that he's directed that are a part of the criterion collection there's you know m the testament of dr mabusa and then ministry of fear which was just released a few years ago so um even though he is very prolific and there are a number of amazing films out there they're all you know either from masters of cinema or kino and then there's just a few from criterion yeah too few i would say i god i wish there were more 
there are a lot of great you know releases you know kino has been doing pretty solid releases of some of these films on blu-ray and uh master of cinema as well yeah i definitely need to check out the um dr dr mabuza der spieler uh moc disc or somewhere i need to find that somewhere because like the silent one i gotta see that the folks at master cinema often have pretty good deals on amazon uk so you can pick them up for uh, a pretty fair price i think over there cool especially with the with the brexit stuff it might be even easier (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) so dr mabusa the testament of dr mabusa as i mentioned this is a sequel kind of a follow-up you know it's, it is a direct sequel to the previous film although that film was a uh silent film the dr mabusa the gambler you know released in 1922 um this one is following up hot like right on the heels of m which he had just released uh the year before i believe and in this one he also brings with him the character of inspector loman is uh you know is the inspector in uh, played by the same character or you know the same actor Otto Wernicke? He was the uh, inspector in M, uh, hot on the heels uh, of the the child murderer. In this film, we, you know, are introduced. You know, essentially, the film is about the the last days, uh, or you know, maybe not last days, but the um, the end of the career of Dr. Mabusa. Uh, and what is going on with him after, you know, the the aftermath of the first film where he was then, he was at the end of the movie, he's arrested and taken to an insane asylum. And here we see him scribbling notes. And we, we I mean, we're, we're mostly learning about him through the the other characters, most notably the, the um, doctor who is obsessed with him, Dr. Baum, uh, played by Oscar Berge. And he... Uh, you know, we see him at the beginning giving a lecture to some students about, um, you know, the, his madness. And, you know, we, we learn more about Dr. Baum's obsession with him. And as the movie goes on, we see just how deeply uh, Mabusa has uh, kind of, you know, put, you know, uh, injected himself into Baum's psyche. The movie, though, starts off with this uh, pretty amazing, intense sequence, uh, almost entirely dialogue free. Uh, I guess it is entirely dialogue free where we meet um, the character of Hoffmeister. Uh, we don't know who he is, right? You know, it's, it starts off in the middle of the action where we, you know, see him hiding in this uh, room that we're, you know, it's, it's unclear as to like what it is we're seeing. There's loud thumping noises and uh, we see him hiding. These characters come in who notice that he's there and are about to, and you know, he has a gun. So we're, we're able to piece together what's going on in this scene, but only, only roughly. And it's, it's not clear until much later in the movie as to like what was going on in that moment. It's a really cool way to start a film. Actually. I thought it was really interesting. Like that. I mean, I, I, I'd heard, or I read that this was a sound film because I was kind of wondering I looked at the box and it was like okay it's in German and then it starts and it's just this loud throbbing industrial noises and I was like okay did I read this wrong is this actually a silent film like is this is this the like weird band that they have playing on that I accidentally turn on the you know uh, alternate (laughs) (laughs) audio track from uh, the phantom carriage or something what's going on here but it it uh it's a really cool opening yeah so we um and you know and then 
his escape from that room where you know he, the the two characters who come in who notice him and you know are about to attack him um they they leave and it seems like they're about to you know spring a trap on him outside of the door because they're you know they're aware that he's there and they think you know i i, I you have to kind of guess as to like what's going on in their heads or what you know how much they know are they even looking for him at that moment or are they just they just stumble upon a person hiding behind the you know the box that they're digging in um, but anyway he escapes he you know he manages to avoid getting blown up by a uh, a barrel that's rolled at him uh, and then he also manages to avoid getting smashed by uh, a rock which is kind of thrown down from a building which all seem like as they're happening in the sequence, you know, it doesn't seem like he's being attacked by these people, but he is clearly being attacked by these people. Yeah, it was, like you said, you piece all that together kind of as you're going and you're always a little bit, at least I was a little bit behind the action. Mainly, I think at that moment, I was like, oh my God, how did they do that barrel thing? Because it, I mean, that explosion is pretty crazy for now. And this was 1933. It was it's it's like the the special effects in this film are really really good. From um, what I've read and heard, uh, it seemed like Fritz Lang wanted to use or or used uh, real explosives and real yeah. guns. <laughs> you know, there's the <laughs> moment. <sounds> crazy. <laughs> there's the moment real later in the the movie when Hoffmeister is is he calls Inspector Lohman to uh, tell him what's going on or what he's discovered, and. Uh, meanwhile, this organization, who is a part of Mabusa's gang, uh, they are, you know, sent to take care of him to get to kill him, essentially. And uh, the lights go out, and you know, in this moment, as Hoffmeister is on the phone with him, he's very paranoid. He's looking around. He's got his gun in his hand, and while he's on the phone, the lights go out and the screen goes dark. And while the screen is dark, you see him fire the gun in what has to be one of like such an amazing scene like you really that that gun lights up the screen in a flash and it just looks so beautiful if you you know if you pause it at the right moment you can see it um they used i think a, a different actor or a stunt double in that moment to fire the gun but he's really firing a real gun in that moment yeah it's it's really crazy i think you know the the commentary they were saying that like people were like terrified who were in the who were in the cast and crew because they're firing the gun you know he was a pers- like a perfectionist type director so they probably fired that gun you know 20 or 30 times <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what i mean like this is like you know brandon lee died in the crow because they accidentally used the wrong ammo or whatever it was like this they're just literally just shooting a gun it's it's absolutely insane and probably couldn't be done today right but and then it does look later at the end of the movie, when they blow up the factory in that, in that amazing sequence, which I think was one of the first things that they shot for the film. But I was reading somewhere else that I think Fritz Lang wanted to, I think he was the one who like pressed the button to, you know, to ignite the bomb in that moment when they were shooting it. Yeah. And apparently, did you see that they, it was in one of the special features. I, I don't remember which one, but it they that they burned down one factory, in, and then it was like they he didn't like the shots, so they had to buy another factory. <laughs> oh man, I missed that, but that is so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, oh, guess we got to buy another munitions factory to blow up. <laughs> oh man, what it would be like to go back to those early days of cinema when they could just do whatever they wanted. Oh, totally! It's so crazy. 
Yeah, this Criterion disc is packed with supplements. I mean, they they really go all out in it, you know, with the the David Callet commentary. David Callet, for anyone out there who is maybe unfamiliar with him, he is a cinema scholar. He's written about, you know, a number of different topics. He's written this book about um, Mabusa and I guess like the whole Mabusa series. Um, He's also written about Godzilla and you can find him on the Godzilla commentary track um, as well as a number of other uh, Criterion releases. But um, in this one, he does a whole feature length commentary for the film. He does a, a different recording of uh, a commentary for the Masters of Cinema release, and uh, he really knows what he's talking about, um, as well as the the little um, supplement that he did, which compare the three different versions of the film: the the German version, which is you know the main feature that we see on the disc, um, but at the same time, Fritz Lang directed a French version which featured a different cast apart from a couple of different actors who, you know, Mabusa is the same. And then I think, uh, Hoffmeister. Hoffmeister, Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, Callet goes through and, you know, just shows off some of the differences in the, um, the performances and the editing. Um, you know, for the most part though, they, and it was Fritz Lang directing both directing and editing both films. Um, the French version is a little bit shorter, but not, you know, cut in any way to where uh, sequences are completely cut out. You know, he just trims, I think, trims scenes down. Um, so but Lang, manages... didn't, Lang didn't edit the French one. Oh, he didn't? No, so he filmed both of them at the same time, but then the editor from the French one, I feel like his name was Lee Wolf, but I'm not sure. Anyway, apparently he took the fit footage and went to Paris with it um, to go edit it there and edit it for the French market. And I think oh. that's why... Um, because the, the, the Nazis confiscated everything in Germany, but the French version was, and I think the German version only survived through one of those you know World War II st- stories you hear about. But I, I believe that the French version was already in France, and so that's what um, was shown uh, for the next like couple decades. Yeah. Um, I think the German version was shown at some point in Budapest, uh, but... They, but yeah, this, this movie definitely has a long, you know, there's, there's a, there's a whole like mythology surrounding this era of Fritz Lang in Germany. I mean, this is the movie that essentially like made, you know, this is right as the Nazis were taking over. This is, you know, right as Fritz Lang was about to leave Germany and, you know, like divorce his wife who he had been with and working with for years. Um, and now, you know, he's off to go direct in France and then, you know, eventually move to the United States. Yeah. And his wife, of course, became a, a Nazi, which yeah. had to be a pretty hard one to swallow, <laughs> yeah. especially if you're Fritz Lang and you're half Jewish. And he, I know there's, there's lots of discussion around, you know, the, his relationship with the Nazis and his, um, or, you know, not relationship, but more like the the interactions that he had with Go- with Goebbels and like the, you know, them wanting him to be, you know, the, like the Nazi director, like the, the, the kind of uh, in charge of the, the Nazi film uh, organization. Yeah. I, I thought Khaled did an, a pretty good job of probably debunking that story. Or I don't like, know. It's really hard. Like Fritz Lang is notoriously unreliable about himself. Yeah. So he has all these stories about, what about meeting but then Goebbels doesn't mention any of it in his journals I think is what yeah he didn't write about it in his diary and and also um I believe Lang claimed he left Germany 
like at a certain like time and then his passport shows that that's not true and that he came back a few times and this uh-huh. and that but i mean i think that the that the that the story is a really good one so <laughs> i don't <laughs> I, I just like it there's a special feature where he tells it on the disc and it's it's great right like it's a great story i kind of like it even if it's not actually true <laughs> yeah this will just be like the myth of fritz lang that that goes on uh or you know that will we'll forget about the details eventually yeah, I was reading like he has a lot of this is not the only sort of um shall we say embellished uh <laughs> part of his you know, he's a pretty f- notorious. I, I actually kind of enjoy that. I, there there there's some great autobiographies out there uh, of people who are notoriously not truthful <laughs> about themselves. <laughs> but his stories are usually very like um uh in a way to make, you know, the the a better story than what actually happened. So I I'm pretty fine with that. As the story unfolds, we meet more characters uh, to follow. We we follow the story of... So essentially, we're following uh, Inspector Lohman, who is investigating what happened to Hoffmeister. Hoffmeister goes missing after that sequence where he fires the gun. Um, he goes insane. He ends up at the asylum where uh, Mabusa is. Um, he is, you know, in a, in a mental state where he uh, can't you know, he can't speak to anyone without singing this like children's lullaby. And, uh, he can't do that. Or, you know, he, he'll, he'll only respond in that when people are talking to him, but then when he thinks no one is watching, then he can revert back to trying to get a hold of Loman, you know, in his delusional state. Um, so that, that's one thing is like Loman trying to figure out what happened here. Um, Hoffmeister was a, was a a police officer who had been disgraced. I mean, it's it's kind of unclear in in the way that they describe it. It seems like maybe he was um, set up, or he, you know, he's like investigating this criminal organization, and he's you know investigating uh, counterfeit money. And at some point, like he's disgraced, and uh, but it seems like he's still investigating that group. And so, like that might be maybe it was a misunderstanding why he was disgraced at some point. Yeah, it wasn't totally clear. Uh, the Loman did seem to have some sympathy feelings for him. Maybe is is a little. It, it was a little bit. I couldn't tell if he like had actually gotten in trouble for something and was trying to like redeem himself, or if he had just you know sort of like gone too deep, or what exactly that that part of it was. It was. It wasn't. I mean, it ended up being kind of not a crucial plot point. I think, but it, it was sort of confusing. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's part of what makes this movie so great is the fact that it's confusing that you have to really think through what's going on on the screen and really pay attention and keep track of all the different characters and all the different motivations and what's going on and, um, you know, piece it all together as you go. Yeah. We're lucky. Um, I, I, at least for the criterion one that the, um, the translation is, is really good. Sometimes, um, especially from German there, they can be a little bit awkward, but this one is, um, I, I should mention that I, I speak German, so um, but I watched it with the subtitles on because uh, they were speaking pretty fast, and it's pretty pretty close to being like a, it's a very good translation, which is very helpful because with a movie like this where it was super confusing, and if you watch like the American version that was dubbed, it's super super confusing. So <laughs> like like what's going on? Who's that? What's happening? So it was like really helpful that that it was very well done. We're also following uh, Doctor Baum, who is you know. Uh, we 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 have an idea of like you know he's obsessed with Mabusa, 
um, and you know maybe he's being manipulated. Uh, at some point, we see him start to hallucinate uh, Mabusa's kind of spirit in his office. I can't remember now. Does he do that before Mabusa dies, or is that only after he dies? I think he does it once before he dies and once after he dies. And um, at some point in the movie, uh, a colleague of his, Dr. Crumb, uh, stumbles into his office and comes across the 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 writings of Mabusa and kind of pieces together the the fact that um, Mabusa's writings have been carried out in real life, um, despite the fact that Mabusa has been kind of locked away without inter- you know without being able to interact with anyone with any part of his organization. Um, but meanwhile, you know, but still his uh, the way that he describes a jewelry heist or that the way that he describes um, how to get away with certain crimes are being actually carried out by uh, different you know, criminals within the city. Yeah, it's really, um, he's not really uh, quick-witted in figuring out that maybe don't talk about the fact that you noticed this with the guy in charge of the guy who wrote the stuff. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like, maybe get away from the place you're at and then shout about this. But I guess he's just you know, surprised. He's surprised. And it's, you yeah. know, this is his friend, you know, yeah, that's and true. it's like, and at that point in the movie too, like it's not, it's not clear, you know, whether or not bomb is uh, sympathetic towards Mabusa and any, I mean, he is and just in that he's interested in him, but you know, I don't think it's so crazy for him to, you know, to point this out to, uh, you know, to bombs that say something like, well, did you did you do you see this? Like, look, this this matches this. Like, have you put this together yet? Um, yeah, maybe I, just not the part about going to the police. Yeah, <laughs> no, I agree because he's like you're you're shocked and you don't even know. You're just like excited. You're like, oh my god, that's crazy. That's a total coincidence. And then you're like, oh, maybe it's not. Maybe I should go to the police. And then you're like, maybe I shouldn't have told that to you. But you're right. There's no way, especially because they presumably at this point they've been working together for a long time. They know each other. I don't really see any reason. You're right that he would be like fearful at that point yeah um and so we then find out or you know watch uh him being killed off by the same group um what is the name of the like the little side organization within the 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 the, the, oh is it like 2b 2d or 2b yeah Yeah, something like that so these are like the the real you know like these are the assassins of the group these are the guys that are sent in to clean up the messes of the other uh, criminals, the ones who have to like, you know, so in this one, there's this amazing sequence where, you know, they're, we're following um, both uh, Dr. Cram and then the, the, the assassins in the car. And they, um, you know, there's this whole sequence at a stoplight where uh, the cars, I think like the, the assassins start honking the horn in order to get all the other cars around them to honk the horns. Uh, just to create the noise needed to, you know, prevent anyone from hearing them fire a gun through the car window into into the other doctor. Uh, I thought that sequence was so well choreographed. It was amazing. It is absolutely brilliant. It reminded me a little bit of um, of that uh, that part in uh, Hitchcock's uh, Man Who Knew Too Much mm-hmm. with the with the with the screeching at the opera. But um, but yeah, it's so well done. And I had no idea it was coming. I was like, why are they doing, why are they honking? And then I think my favorite part actually was um, the, the way that it cuts from like the honking and the guy's sighting the gun. And then there's just the, all the cars are driving through the light, but that one car is just sitting there. Yes. So and the police well officer shot. runs over. Oh, yeah. Absolutely okay. beautiful. I mean, there are so many things in this movie, you know, 
themes and tropes and character, uh, you know, behavior that are so influential on uh, on cinema and, and television. And I mean, this movie is, you know, this story is obviously based on, um, you know, and inspired by like, you know, the old silent serials, you know, like the... Um, Phantomas, Phantomas, and, like and yeah, yeah, all that stuff, um, and so it's kind of playing off of those ideas, but it would later go on to influence so many different things. Yeah, no, there's, there's, I mean, from Eisensteinian montage transitions to, I mean, you can, there's, it's, it's an, uh, you know, I, I'm a huge Fritz Lang fan, even you know his Hollywood stuff, everything. This, but I'd never seen this movie before, and it, there's so much, there's so many ideas in here. There's so much like really interesting stuff and he, like he does the the um the like transition style where it's like uh, you're talking about one thing and then it relates like not literally but sort of metaphysically to the next scene but he does it in a really uncheesy way which is like definitely dangerous because that can go really wrong really quick um i just think he does it brilliantly in this film yeah there's a moment when um I tried to write down some of the scene transitions that mm. uh, that I thought were just amazing, but uh, now in reading my notes, it, like these notes don't make any sense. But I have the exact uh, or at least, same like, problem. I'm like, okay, <laughs> so there's a moment when they're when they're discovering that Mabusa's name was on the window, and then yeah. he says something like, "Wasn't he that?" And then it cuts, and then the next person says, "That's right." And uh, <laughs> but I don't know if that's exactly what happens in the movie, so I'd have to go back and rewatch it. But uh, there's also the, the I guess like the the one that gets closest to being kind of cheesy is the one where you see the doc the the photograph of one of the criminals, and then it transitions to that same image of the criminal dressed in the same clothes, but in their room, you know, where they're you know like where he's like filing his nails. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, I like the one. The the um you know the early one that we already mentioned where like they're talking about uh, Mabuza and then it switches to the psychiatrist talking about him is really good. I have a note in my notes. It's very similar to you. I don't even remember this from the film. It says the non-ticking pocket watch to the ticking sound is a brilliant transition, yeah. which I'm sure I was right about, but I have no idea <laughs> <laughs> what that was. Um, so uh, about an hour of the way into the movie. Dr. Mabusa dies, or at least his body dies. Uh, dies yeah. So it's it's unclear as to whether or not, you know, the there are these kind of fantastical elements to the movie where um, Dr. Mabusa's spirit or ghost appears in various scenes after, you know, I guess before and after he dies um, in some pretty effective stuff too, like where we see him, you know, sitting across from Dr. Baum um, or, you know, riding in the car with him. Uh, now, whether or not he has, is really, you know, or, or whether or not Fritz Lang means for us to believe that he is a spirit or a ghost, you know, haunting in in the reality of the movie, or whether or not he's just kind of infected Dr. Baum to the point where he's hallucinating him. You know, it's, it's I guess it could go either way. So apparently, I agree completely. Apparently Lang later said that he if he would was going to remake the film he wouldn't have done that but i think that was just because someone called it expressionistic and he got really pissy about that cuz he didn't like expressionistic film mm-hmm. um i'm i'm not sure i agree with you it was it was unclear to me whether there were actual ghosts like was he being possessed 
was the spirit was it like um like a, a one of those horror films where the evil guy can jump from body to body mm-hmm. you know or or if it was just his ideas the personification of his of his evil ideas uh that, that took over dr baum I mean, if you wanted to read the movie as like him just hallucinating, then it would be Dr. Baum was behind everything the whole time. He was the man behind the curtain. He was the yeah. one, you know, recording all these things, getting the criminals. He was, you know, taking the the, the writings of Mabusa and uh, becoming a criminal mastermind, you know, either consciously or subconsciously, um, you know, carrying out these these orders to everyone. Yeah, I think the 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 very end of the I don't know if we'll get into it, but the very very end of the film leads me to believe that he had that he at least believed he was Doctor Mabuza at some point. But what you know to what degree that plays out, I'm not exactly sure either. Right. So the movie ends with him uh, confronting Hoffmeister in the cell, which you know presumably it's like Mabusa has has pushed him there or i mean i guess we i have to decide on whether or not i think that he's hallucinating or not but um <laughs> you know he he goes into the cell he he says that he is dr mabusa hoffmeister suddenly stops singing the song and um off camera you know he attacks mabusa um you know at various points when i've seen this movie it i love the way that they play that too where they don't show you what's going on and you know the the uh the other workers in in the hospital go in to kind of stop the fight and it you know you at that point you think like well did he kill like did one kill the other did mm-hmm. did mabusa kill hoffmeister did hoffmeister kill mabusa um but luckily they both survive uh or you know i guess unluckily depending on who, who you are <laughs> but uh they both survive and uh we see now baum as the kind of broken uh i guess i mean he's kind of like what is the name? Uh, Renfield in Dracula. I mean, he kind of reminds me of a Renfield character. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, just broken by the ordeal. Yeah. Appar- apparently, that's what that fact is why it was banned by the Nazis, which is really interesting. Yeah, I was also reading that the Nazis didn't want they they um, saw this, or the, I guess maybe like the the, the way that they um, played it was that this was like a way for criminals to like a blueprint for how to overthrow a government essentially. And like how you would, uh, how criminals could like do that. And so that's what they were saying. Like, Oh, this is a danger to German society. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. And, uh, but I find it, I do find it interesting that in addition to that, that, that it wasn't like, cause they eventually re they did eventually, uh, release it in Nazi Germany, but right. they added like some, some narration to suggest that it was during the Weimar Republic and that it was the, 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 that the Jews were behind everything, you know, because they were the Nazis, um, and and uh, and that that it was okay that the society was destroyed, but that the fact that um, Doctor Mabuza himself wasn't brought down by either the police or by the vigilante Hofmeister, but by his own crumbling madness, was somehow um, unacceptable to the to, to, to Goebbels. I thought was really uh, interesting. One of the other um, storylines that we're following in the movie is. Uh, the story of Thomas Kent, who is uh, a one of part of the criminal organization, although he uh, very early on in the movie uh, makes it clear that he doesn't want to have to kill anyone in this, in this you know in the organization he doesn't feel like they should they should have to kill people, and he reveals that he um, has killed people before in his past. He's uh, you know he has this whole romantic storyline with 
um, a woman who kind of helped him out as he was um, dealing with, you know, being unemployed and um, having just gotten out of jail and he is trying to find a job and she lends him some money and then they, you know, eventually go on to fall in love. And, um, you know, she is kind of a liability for him in this, in this organization. Yeah. This, this was the part of the film that was cut out of every other version. Yeah. (laughs) And, and I, and I, I, I'm sad about that. Even though I think that, um, uh, David Collat is right that, that Lily is really the one bad sort of acting job in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really love Thomas Kent. And I think that his story is sort of very relevant to like what's going on because it does frame this, the um, sort of the how Dr. Mabuza does this element of crime, uh, empire of crime, right? Like the economic issues and the time issues and those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, he's he's paying all these criminals to to do all these um, things, which seemingly like don't bring in any money, but manage to. I mean, apart from you know like stealing jewels and whatnot, but um, you know, there there are this organization is kind of doing doing crime just to do crime. Like they're just they're not out there trying to you know they're they're not out there like selling drugs to create drug addicts to kind of feed the system. They're just like out there spreading chaos and anarchy and fear and like um trying to you know just bring about a a society under under terror yeah it's the destabilization and the the people involved are really just doing it um yeah like you said because they're being paid and it's a, a time when it's hard to get a job you know it's the 30s early 30s germany like there's not a lot of work and stuff and i don't think you don't get the sense that there's that other than mabusa you don't really get the sense that these are mostly hardened criminals right like there's a there's one guy who just keeps saying like why are we doing this why are we doing that the other guy's like I'm gonna tell the boss and you know <laughs> yeah. this kind of stuff it, it's it's it is it is interesting um, I'm not sure I go quite as far as Kalat in the commentary where he thinks that Thomas Kent's name is like a hint that Thomas knows because Kenan to Kenan is to know in German I think that might be going a little a little far although you never know but um, but I do think that the the gangsters and how we see that it it definitely fills out the the life of the film in a really interesting way where it gives it more of like a, there's more to the story a little bit like the with M as well, where there's like a deeper level of meaning than just like, Oh, you know, super criminal versus super detective. Mm-hmm. Um, we, there is a moment when I think uh, when Lily goes to him and tells him that she loves him or she leaves him the note. I forget how, the, how that timeline works, but she, um, what, is this? Are you it, talking about when he, when he, when she shows up and like disregards his note? Yes, that that whole sequence. Um, there, there have been times when I've watched this movie and thought, like, man, you know, he could have, in a more paranoid movie, like she could have really been in on the whole thing the whole time. Like she could have mm. been a part of the organization and been like testing him and seeing like how he was gonna, you know, wh- where he was gonna go or what he was gonna say at this point. Um, she has like a look on her sometimes when I when I think like, what if she's really in on this like and she's gonna like, she's gonna kill him at this point but you know it doesn't go that way obviously no I I kind of wish it would though because it's kind of like I said she's my least favorite thing about the film and her just going like oh I love you when he's like telling her he's murdered two people is mm-hmm. a little like disturbing and a little weird so if she was if she was trying to get him to admit that he was part of this criminal gang so that she could like out him as a because he was you know definitely on the fence about kind of being a squealer anyway that would be awesome what a great like 
subplot that didn't sadly happen. Well, I think that might be just because I've seen that almost play out in, you know, in things which have been influenced by this movie. And so maybe like people have taken this idea and, and, you know, like taken it in a more cynical or more like a darker route uh, over the years. Yeah, definitely. That's that's really interesting, too, because I know this film um, has been cited as an influence by like a ton of people. So that's that's awesome. That's that's actually really that's really cool. As I as I was watching it again this time uh, this week to prepare for the episode, um, I was trying to think of more things that have been influenced by this, um, like modern stuff. Mm-hmm. Have you have you ever have you watched any of the new Hannibal series? Uh, the films or the TV show? The TV show. No, I've seen most of the films, but not the TV show. As I was watching the movie, I was just thinking how, um, and I was trying to, you know, search around online just to see if anyone else had made this connection. But like the 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 character of Hannibal in at least in the TV series, I haven't read the books and I've seen the movies, but I think like I think the new Mads Mikkelsen Hannibal is just now for me just the definitive version of Hannibal, and wow. Uh, it's great and you should totally watch it. It is, <laughs> it is amazing. Like it has an incredible, it's like beautiful art direction, amazing cinematography, like great music, amazing performances. It's just so good. Um, but he, you know, in, in rewatching Mabusa, I feel like he has to have been influenced by, by the Mabusa stories. Um, you know, you know, the people who are either, you know, the author Thomas Harris writing the books or the people who are involved with the TV show and kind of creating this character just because he is, totally like a Mabusa character uh in that show that's that's awesome I, I you just made me think too that of um this is probably a weirder one and maybe a stretch but the 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 way that Dr. Moriarty is in the recent modernized Sherlock stuff mm-hmm. from the BBC also kind of feels like a uh a, a mabusa figure in the sense of like they'll just the layers of sort of questioning your sanity and doing things that don't seem to have any direct relation i mean you know it's obviously all the super criminal stuff is kind of tied together but mabusa is definitely a darker character than most of the early sherlock holmes stuff so yeah you know it's, no it's he, really he's he definitely has to have been influenced by moriarty by the books um and probably the early you know sherlock holmes movies and, and whatnot yeah it's all building on, on on each other yeah uh i was also thinking i don't know have you watched mr robot either I have, yeah. I was thinking of, of like the various Mr. Robot conspiracies and whatnot in in rewatching Mabusa and thinking about how, like you know, they're you know kind of creating chaos in that show, like the you know the 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 hacker terrorist groups in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you see, you know, it, it, on two different sort of levels, you see a lot of modern stuff that clearly it, whether it's influenced directly from this but it was influenced by something that was influenced from this or something like that and there's sort of two avenues one is on just on the filmmaking side there's so many you know early sound improvements that lang is doing and so many things that i think are still really interesting or, or revelatory today and then on the other side on the sort of storytelling narrative that it's a very you know i think the word kyla uses is serpentine but it's a very like labyrinthian story and like there's a lot of um, interesting misdirection, uh, a lot of clues. It's cool because you can you you can't, you feel like you can put it together, which is nice. Like it's not like a lost situation where it's like okay, this is clearly an incomplete puzzle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but um, it I I think uh it really I mean it for a film from 1933. Even if you're not like quite as much of a 
old movie buff as we are, I think it really holds up incredibly well. Oh, yeah. I think this movie could be seen by, you know, younger audiences now and still uh, still hold up really well. Uh, I think, you know, yeah, I I, th- I totally agree. I think this, uh, you know, could be seen by, I mean, I would, I would happily show this to Miranda at some point when she's a little bit older and like into, you know, detective stories or, you know, like if we ever get her into Sherlock Holmes, I mean, this is definitely something like, you know, connected to, to that series or, you know, like the old, the old serials and whatnot. Yeah. Especially if, if you simultaneously get her into some of that, like super classic, uh, horror, like obviously she's probably too young for that at this point, but like some of that old psychological stuff is like really, really interesting. And this one's probably on the very unscary side, which is good. It's, it's it's so interesting. I mean, you know, Criterion, people often are like, oh, why doesn't Criterion release this? And, you know, we all know the, the answer is why Criterion doesn't release certain things. Yeah. You know, they don't have the rights to things. Um, so it's interesting to have this movie be um, the, you know, like a, a standalone release within the collection where uh, if you're just going through, like you, you pick up this movie in the collection and, and if you're, if you don't, have access to I guess at the, whatever the time so this this DVD release from Criterion came out in 2004 and obviously there had been previous editions from I think Image and um, and so Kino has had uh, the the Gambler Dr. Mabusa the Gambler um, but like it's 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 so fascinating to have this be like a release where you you don't really need to have seen the previous edition or in the previous film to follow what's going on here like it catches you up, you know, within that first, I mean, the, the, when we see Dr. Baum giving the lecture, I mean, he essentially like recaps what happened uh, in the first movie in a few lines of dialogue. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen the first one, right? Still. And I certainly don't feel like I, I mean, I would love to, now I really want to see it, but I didn't feel like I was missing out for sure. Yeah. Are there any other films in the collection where we only have the second one? <laughs> well, I was asking that on Twitter the other night and people came up with things like, Life During Wartime is a recent one where uh, that one is kind of like a sequel to that other uh, that other movie of his. Um, and I think Judex also. Judex uh, is kind of an example, yeah. Although it's, I mean, it's more of like a, a remake. remake. Yeah. yeah. Um, what were some of the other ones that people had Man, said? Man, I love Judex. Um, I guess like, uh, you know, the Orpheus movie, because one of them is now out of print. Yeah, uh, or yeah, okay. Um but yeah, there aren't that many examples of movies where like Criterion has a sequel of a film that they don't have the rights to the original one, which um just makes for an interesting thing if you're just if you look at the Criterion collection as this thing where like theoretically you would just like only only watch these movies and there are no other <laughs> releases, you know, to be seen, so there's no oh, there must just not be an original movie because Criterion didn't release it. <laughs> yeah. I mean I'm sure obviously they would they would love to release it. It's apparently yeah. brilliant. But No, it is. I mean and there is so there is a a new recent Blu-ray release from Kino for uh Doctor Mabusa the Gambler, which was just released back in September of twenty sixteen. Um, that movie is, you know, very long. It's like four hours long. It's, you know, broken up into two parts. And so it's two different Blu-ray discs. Um, but, and it's a silent film. Um, so it's a little bit more work, I think, on the viewer's part to get into something like that. 
I think this movie is is probably easier just in that it's you know it has dialogue it's still two hours long so it's it's pretty long there are moments I think maybe that he could have trimmed down and did or you know that there have they have been trimmed down in you know the, the French cut but I don't think this movie drags in any parts though uh, I never felt like oh you know even like the character of you know of Lily or whoever of you know the various moments when there are uh you know kind of not important characters coming in to you know ha- have little bits like you know any I, I don't think any of it, any of it weighs it down too much no i definitely agree i'm not a huge fan as uh, some people who've been uh with me for a while will know of of super long films but uh i never felt the the running time in this one it's a definitely a trend of german film from this era that they're just usually extraordinarily long but this one just is it's very I mean, there certainly is fat, like you said, but it doesn't feel weighed down, and it it moves pretty quickly through everything, and and it never gets bogged down in the in the the extra details too long. So it just feels like rounding things out or providing more context to what's happening, and some of that stuff I actually think would be pretty sad. Like I watched quite a bit of the French language version, which I don't recommend people do because um, it's pretty bad. The acting is really really bad, but um, the, it does kind of miss something uh, without some of the the. Uh, the extra details, especially around the Kent Lily uh, thing. Mm-hmm. It was fun to, so this, this release again from 2004, it was fun to um, go back and, and watch the DVD. I mean, I have the blue, the masters of cinema Blu-ray. So that was one that I've um, been watching more recently over the years since that one came out, but it's fun to go back and pop in the old DVD just because they really do. I mean, the the only supplement on that Masters of Cinema disc is the commentary track from David Callett. And this Criterion DVD is just, I mean, the, the, it's, it's packed with stuff. And I love the, in particular, that, you know, the the commentary track, the um, the comparison with the three different versions, the interviews. I loved, like, even just, you know, having the still galleries. Like, I you know, I'm not always crazy about those, but it's still fun to kind of flip through lots of production art, especially this stuff from, you know, like, artwork like German poster art from the thirties is just among like, it's just one of the coolest eras of film art, I think. Oh, absolutely. Every time I see the, the Kino release of spies in, uh, in, in stores, I just want, I'm like, I need to buy that. Like, it's so beautiful with just that cover. Frau and Mond is the same way. So, so good. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the special features on this DVD are really cool because for one thing, there's just not a bad one. Like they're all super interesting. Like you said, like there's the uh, interview with um, with the actor who played Hardy, which is great. There's an old black and white interview with Fritz Lang, which is great. There's the comparison video, even the one the the thing about the the author, the Norbert uh, Jacques. The uh, I think I said Norman Jacques earlier, but it's Norbert <laughs> Jacques. Um, but the interview with the with the with the Mabuza expert about the literary side of things, I found fascinating. Yeah, like it was. It really. I mean. I don't usually, um, I'm probably less on the, the supplement side than many in the Criterion community. And this one was just so great. Yeah. I mean, they really try to give you as much context for this release as they can. And, you know, this era of Criterion was certainly like digging into creating like, you know, the, the iconic releases, like the film school in a box, uh, mm-hmm. that we all kind of latched onto early on in these, you know, in the first five or six years of Criterion's existence as releasing dvds obviously not just laser discs but um they they really went all out with some of this stuff 
Do you think that one of the reasons that we don't see that quite as much now is because of Blu-ray? That like people get really, really pissy when there's um, SD special features and, and stuff, but there is no way that they're gonna, you know, Blu-ray like 4K rip like Mabuza in mind, right? Like that's not gonna happen. Yeah. So I wonder if they leave some of that stuff off just because, or they just don't even like go looking for it. Or... They don't go looking for it, or they think, yeah. well, this is gonna be more like. If we're going to upgrade the Testament of Dr. Mabusa, then we have to bring along all these supplements that we created for the DVD. And if we're going to do that, it's going to require this much work or, you know, cost this much money, cost this much money. And so they just can't justify it. And maybe that's why this hasn't had a Blu-ray upgrade yet. (sighs) It's it's sad. I mean, the DVD looks great. I watched it on the on the Criterion DVD and it looks great. Right. But uh, I am a little jealous of your your MOC Blu-ray. Yeah. I mean, it's. You know, it is region locked, so you have to get a region free player. But, um, you know, you can have both versions like you don't have to only have one uh, (laughs) in order to, you know, kind of appreciate the different things. Don't be like me, kids. (laughs) (laughs) I don't I don't think you're uh, an anomaly uh, in the home media collecting market out there. (laughs) I think you probably are the majority of people who are like, well, I don't want to import something from the UK because I don't have a region free player. And so blah, blah, blah. The dumb thing is that my player can be made region free, so <laughs> I'm like, I have no good excuse. But I, I think my story, like many people, is just the fear of what it would do to my wallet. You know? Yeah, no, it but, is dangerous to get you know into the habit of, because then you're just you know you're you're looking at late at night on Amazon UK and you're thinking like, well, this <laughs> th- these these pounds equal dollars, yeah. you know, in a in a not too expensive way, and so I think I'll just. Maybe order a few, and then you just keep doing that again and again, and it adds up. Well, I mean, I'm a religious listener of your show, the the um, the one with Brian and uh, off the shelf, and uh, and and like some, you're like on Amazon France, you know, you're like <laughs> you're talking about like yeah. Australia, and I'm just like, oh my god. There are a few Amazons out there that I haven't ordered from that I've that I have stuff in my cart. You know, I have like mm. Amazon. Japan and yeah. Amazon France and Amazon Spain are are some that I have discs like foreign region discs in my carts just waiting for the day when I finally pull the trigger but I haven't yet it's, but I, it's I want beautiful to. it takes yeah. for I imagine it takes forever for that stuff to come though it depends where you, where you're ordering it from like supposedly J- the Amazon Japan is really quick to ship stuff and they get to you really fast unfortunately it is very expensive to import from Japan. <sighs> that is a shame because there's some stuff that we definitely are, are, don't see here. Yeah, I mean, some and some Blu-rays are way more expensive than any Criterion disc might be here. You know, like some of the the Ozu Shochiku Blu-rays from Am- from Amazon Japan are just in the like forty to fifty dollar range or thirty to fifty dollar range, and um, plus shipping. You know, it can those discs can get pretty expensive. Did you ever get into the um, 80s and 90s Jer- Jeremy Brett uh, Sherlock Holmes stuff from Granada? You know uh, about? I think I know who you're talking about, but I haven't gotten into that. So I'm absolutely obsessed. It, it used to be all on Netflix. It's not anymore. But there is a Japanese Blu-ray set of that, which is absolutely beautiful. And I just, uh, I wish it was here. <laughs> so there is there is another, um, I don't know. Is there any part of, other part of the, of the movie that we should talk about before going off in too many other tangents i mean like <laughs> getting back to mabusa like you know we the, the so mabusa dies about halfway through the movie and then afterwards we follow um 
you know, the various uh, groups within the criminal organization are being assigned different tasks. Uh, you know, as, as we mentioned, uh, Thomas and Lily are confronted by the man behind the curtain, or at least like they are, they are trapped by the man behind the curtain. They are locked in a room uh, with a ticking time bomb, which is going to go off in three hours, which is kind of a long time for. <laughs> yeah, it's a really long time. <laughs> That's a really cool sequence too. It, it is I, a really cool sequence. I thought so too. <laughs> like the 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 special effects are are really really impressive, and I guess you can get away with the three hour trope if you made this movie, you know, thirty years before the 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 Bond movies overexploited. Yes. yes. <laughs> but no, that one, and then the we got to talk about the um the ending of the film, like just that entire last half hour or something. Yeah. So the um so Thomas and Lily make their way to Loman. Loman has uh. Um, at that point, had they already captured the other, had they, had they already made the raid on the other group or is that, does that come after? I can't remember now. They, they, so Loman, you know, they have this police raid on the, uh, the other criminals, um, who, you know, there's this gunfight between them. Um, they capture uh, a number of them that we've seen throughout the movie. Um, like the driver of the car who killed Dr. Cram and, um, Loman is kind of slowly unraveling the mystery of who is giving the orders. And, um, he, you know, he knows the name Mabusa from the scratchings on the window from Hoffmeister's apartment. Um, but, you know, at that point, like he thinks or is, has been told that Mabusa is dead and it's, you know, uh, it's unclear as to like exactly who is pulling the strings or what, what is going on. For him, uh, I mean, as the audience, we kind of see, we know what's going on as it's happening. We're seeing everything as it's happening. But um, but even still, it's a little like, you know, exactly what Dr. Ma- uh, Dr. Baum's role is, is, is still, you know, it's left vague, I think, purposefully. Yeah, I, this is that there's that really cool um, scene that like comes back from earlier where they they go to the asylum um, and and uh, Baum claims that he doesn't want to be disturbed. He's in his office, and they they pull the the door handle, and they hear him say that he doesn't want to be disturbed. And that's when Kent goes, "Oh my God, that's Mabuza." Yeah, yeah, that's the voice that he's been hearing because they, you know, earlier we discover that the man who's been giving the orders behind the curtain is just a you know a cardboard cutout of a you know, silhouette, and there's a, just a record player there, you know, like giving the orders to everyone. Um, which seems like a like a, I guess it's a believable way in 1933. But it seems like you would have to sit there recording those those records uh, of what exactly you want to have said, and you have to plan for contingent like for them, you know, not talking back to you. I guess. Yeah, like one time someone says something and the record talks over it in a really goofy way, and they're like, "What the Milli Vanilli?" Yeah, wait, you know? <laughs> what's going on here? There's no one behind this curtain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the gangsters were not by and large the sharpest tools in the shed, so maybe. Maybe that helped as well, or maybe maybe he was back there some of the time. Just talk, I don't know. Records seem like an inefficient way to do this. I would yeah. say, like, you know. so they, they so they discover so they so they go to confront Bomb uh, to see what's going on, and um, you know they discover that he's not there. They go, uh, they know, you know, Tom uh, Thomas Kent knows what's about to happen, like the different, uh, you know project mayhem style things that they're about to embark on, like blowing up the factory and releasing gas and destroying things and burning stuff down and whatnot. Um, and so they, uh, discover bomb at the, 
site of the factory which is being destroyed and they chase him and that which which turns into this uh, car chase uh, between the two of them um, which eventually lead you know we we see that moment when uh, bomb is driving and we see the the the, the ghost of Mabusa uh, driving alongside of him kind of ranting his 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 uh, his his speeches about you know the um, I forget now like his lines about like the the, the crime uh, you know like what is the empire it? the crime empire is that how he describes it in there it's the empire of crime I empire think. of crime yeah this is uh, this is where we see I think that um like we said earlier, it's a very modern feeling film, and I think, especially for its time, and I think two of the reasons are the the fact that he actually blew up an actual munitions plant at night. Um, it's like one of the first films to film at night, um, which was kind of like not really, really at night. It was like at, at dawn or dusk or something, but but it definitely looks like it's at night. And then the car chase, which is not like a you know later Hitchcock like rear projection thing. Like that yeah. thing is pretty crazy looking. Yeah. Um, and feels fast, which um, I think is uh, unusual in a film from this area. It just really feels way ahead of its time. No, definitely. Um, and at some point, uh, Loman, his car, you know, they get a flat tire, and so they have to stop. So he, so uh, Baum kind of gets away. Uh, well, actually, one of my, one of my other favorite moments in towards the end is when the ghost of Mabusa opens the gate for him. Uh, (laughs) I I love that moment so much just because it's like a big, like, you know, uh, whatever you think might be going on in this movie is kind of like thrown out the window at that point because, uh, you know, he opens the gate for him. So there's really no way you shouldn't, you shouldn't try to make this fit logic, like, like make this work in a, in a logical sense, I think. Right. Like at that point you're either, in the perception of Baum temporarily, or oh, yeah, he's, like, it's a... <laughs> or like Baum gets out and he sees himself as like you know in Mr. Robot where he sees himself as the character and does the thing and then goes back uh, to, to drive in into the asylum. Yeah, like you're you're you know like you're fight clubbing it or or like you said Mr. Roboting it at this point. It's like are we whose perspective is this? How is this? Also, like when Mabuza has showed up until up until this point, he he's always been very non corporeal. Like you get the feeling he would try to you know reach into a table and his hand would go through the table, right? Like he'd be like annoyed that he can't hold stuff if he was a ghost. <laughs> yeah. But he, now he's like, oh yeah, I'll just open that gate for you, no big deal. And then it kind of jump cuts in a weird way. And and one of the things with like really old films is that you're never sure like. Are we missing some of the footage? Is this what was intended? Right, like so. Just just trying to piece together whether or not uh, what it's supposed to mean. I think is at this point not. It's fun, but not probably all that valuable. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of my other favorite th- moments in the movie that I wanted to mention and talk with you about is the. Um, there's a. I-, I love Hoffmeister's first meeting with Loman in the asylum where he like sees where you see his what he's seeing essentially and that's like the most kind of german expressionist part of the movie when he you see like the 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 table that he's sitting at and like the the imagery of uh i mean it's like it's much more like angular looking and um i don't know i just i love that shot of him like you know through hoffmeister's crazy vision uh and then you know we turn around and see what he's really doing is just sitting at the bed. Yeah, totally. No, it's it's interesting because um, I, 
everyone should listen to the Callet uh, commentary. It's it's so brilliant. But he was talking in there about how um, Lang er, falsely claimed to have invented the framing story of um, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is the part of that film that um, uh, explains away the expressionist elements as sort of the, the fact that the character is insane. Mm-hmm. And and here we have him doing the only the really most expressionist thing in the film for a character who is currently insane. Yeah. It looks awesome though. It's super cool, and he's singing that really weird, creepy song. And like, yeah. it's it's great. One thing that I noticed in rewatching it this time around was, um, one little bit of like set decoration which shows up there, and also earlier in the movie in his apartment is like, there's this little glass alligator that he has on his desk, and then it, I think it shows up again similarly in that hallucination and i could not i haven't really tried digging too far to see like if that means anything or if that was meant to mean anything but uh it's such a weird little p i don't know maybe that was just a thing in germany at that time like maybe that was something that people collected but it was uh it just stood out uh, in rewatching the movie Apparently a lot. I'll have to go back and look at that one. Apparently a lot of the like weirder props, like the masks in um, in Baum's office, were, were likely just art pieces that Fritz Lang and his wife had because uh-huh. they were like collectors of of avant garde art. Um, but yeah, that's that's interesting and cool. I don't because like the the I think that the Africanish masks in the in the um, Dr. Baum's office were intended to sort of give you the idea of you know some kind of magical element so it's mm-hmm. entirely possible that the that the that that alligator does in fact mean something on some level anyway i mean i guess it means something on some level no matter what because they put it in the scene right um yeah the the masks are pretty neat the skulls that they show are the skulls uh, are very super affecting cool. yeah yeah it's it's a it's a very well dressed film as well i mean there's really just nothing like that wasn't I mean you really get the sense and you can see this in the in the French version too like this was such a meticulously crafted film which is impressive that it doesn't come off super stilted so like all of the actors um were basically like apparently Lang even would like yell stuff at them like it was a silent film and they had like trouble dealing with that like the sound guys would have to like work around him just shouting stuff all the time um but like he was he was really 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 like intense about um getting exactly the movements he wanted so there's like in one of the special features the one with the with with hardy he talks about how the the gangster guy talks about how like he it was like a two-second shot where there's gonna be a shadow on the wall and you know lang known for his phenomenal shadows needed him to do like an exact look at an exact time and if you look at the french version it's exactly the same with the french actor right like he 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 really got them down to like almost like mannequins that he was posing but they still feel like they're people and they still feel like they're acting it doesn't come across like they're like they're stuck in a a robot move which is i would think really hard to do Uh, very impressive yeah um yeah this is his second uh sound film right like before this so he did m and but then before that was the woman in the moon which was silent and then spies and metropolis and the nibelungen like all those were silent films this is m and then testament of dr mabusa so he's still i mean in in that time in that era there were people were still figuring out you know directors were still figuring out you know how to work in this new format medium whatever oh yeah and i think he was ahead of of his time on that oh definitely. I mean, I, there were a lot of like 
very like in the same way that early silent films were often just filmed plays or whatever they they were very stilted and very like formal and and people didn't people talked like they did on cue cards for silent films like hark i hear someone coming it's like this is um this is i can tell you that it's not just that you don't well i don't know actually ryan do you speak german I don't. I mean, I know a few words in German. My mom was born in Germany, and so she, oh, she, she. I mean, she wasn't. She's not German, but she. My my grandfather was part of the. Um, he was a diplomat, and so the cool. they were living in Germany back in the fifties, and so that's where she was born in. Uh, Bonn, not Bonn. Uh, I forget where she was born. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Wiesbaden, maybe. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah. I so I know a little bit of German. But so, like, even in the German, it's, it feels very fluid, right? Like, it's not an issue of, like, oh, well, I don't understand the language, so I couldn't tell. Like, I can tell you that it feels very naturalistic, the dialogue, much more than similar era sound films. I don't remember where I read this or heard this. I was also listening to... So I, I wanted to give a shout-out to uh, the folks at the Magic Lantern podcast, uh, Cole and Erica. They did an episode on Testament of Dr. Mabusa that... Uh, I listened to last night in kind of preparing for the the podcast here, and uh, I I hadn't listened to their show before, but it's actually really good, and there are a couple in there. Uh, it was just really fun to hear them, you know, geek out about this movie. So I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone who wants to listen to it. I can't remember if it was them or if it was someone else had said like that they thought that this movie could almost play like a silent film, like if you were to just put in. Uh, you know, like inner titles, you know, in between that you could get, you could kind of get away with not having any dial uh, dialogue in this movie. That's really interesting. I like them and their podcast as well, by the way, but um, that they are great. But the, that, that is really interesting. Uh, I think I agree with that, which is interesting. Cause I just said like, that it wasn't the, like the sound acting was very naturalistic. And I do think that's true, but at the same time, the concepts that they're trying to get across, yeah, it could it could it could totally work. It'd be interesting. I would actually I would be really interested in like someone doing like a fan edit where they did that. Yes. Like right. That'd be super cool. Totally. Um I think and the the actor who plays Mabusa um was a known uh silent actor, Rudolf Klein Rog. Um and he uh you know, essentially has no lines in the movie except for like, you know, when he's, we see him as the ghost, you know, giving his speeches. In that creepy, creepy whisper. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, now, he wasn't... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, when there's that... The moment when he starts talking in the, the car and, uh, you know, his, his, the first couple of lines that he says, like, it, you don't even really know what it is that you're hearing uh, until you see him and then you see him talking. Yeah. It's... Oh, God, do you remember... Like the first time you see him as a ghost, he doesn't look like a real person, right? Because he has that? like the the brain part of his the head, brain head, and the eyes are really creepy. Like they're like cut out from like a golf balls or something or tennis balls. Or yeah, whatever. Um, I think again, I, this maybe this was in the essay, but I think that look of Mabusa was meant to be the uh, bomb had. I don't I can't remember now if it was like originally intended to where they were going to show him being like uh like dissected after he died and and that you would that that's what bomb would have seen like the last that he had seen mabusa's body as like with them kind of like um you know taking apart his brain um and that's why he looks the way that he does but i like that they don't even explain that at all 
And that's yeah, just that's, that's super really creepy. creepy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess in the book he he writes his ravings in blood on the wall, which could have been cool. Oh yeah. But I mean that that would, <laughs> that would probably be uh, that might be tough. I don't know like what the censorship stuff was like back then, but uh that might be a little bit pushing it too far. Well, given that he didn't manage to get it shown anyway. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I guess it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but yeah, no. It's um uh he yeah, you have no idea what he's doing with the whispering. It's really creepy and really cool and yeah he didn't i think that actor was like not in almost any sound films i think most of his was one of those guys that most of his career was in the was in the silent area he's perfect for it he because you know he 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 emotes in a really interesting way that you know he doesn't do a ton in the film but he's so creepy and he just feels like like ancient and not of this world and Mm -hmm. super creepy and powerful it's it's really 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 well done the DVD artwork was done by the um, like the graphic design group or or business, the Aesthetic Apparatus. Um, they so last episode we did Eyes Without a Face, and they did uh, they had done the cover art for that uh, the DVD release, and then eventually the Blu-ray, um, and then they also did this one. They have a really interesting style. Uh, I mean, there's so much artwork out there for this film in particular. I mean, obviously there's like the whole you know, collection of artwork and posters and things um, and design and drawings and whatnot uh, that were produced, you know, f- for and around the film. Uh, and it's interesting that, you know, Criterion went and chose this. I mean, it is a very striking cover. It's like, it's kind of iconic amongst like the, um, this era of Criterion cover art. So now I understand how you chose these films. You were like, okay, let's do all the aesthetic apparatus uh, <laughs> films. Now I think that I think the best thing you can say for um, an a DVD cover of this era from Criterion is whether or not if they did a blue grade, whether you would want them to keep it. And a hundred percent, I would. Yes, um, me too. I think it's an awesome, awesome cover. And it kind of, especially given that it's really unclear uh, whether or not Mabuza's power is hypnosis or magic or what, like setting it in that way kind of dramatizing the eyes we were talking about. It's a it's a really, really awesome cover. I I, I absolutely love it. It was also nice. My DVD still has one of the old, uh, of this era, you know, um, what are they called? Like the little catalogs that oh, they yeah, used totally. to include. So there's like the one from 2004. So it's just like all the releases up until, this one goes up until Spine 240, um, <laughs> which is just a little bit after this one. Yeah, that's so awesome. I love those when I when I when I find them in in ones that I buy. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's just like what a what a great relic of the past. Do you have any other favorite Fritz Lang films that uh, you know that you look back fondly of, or not, maybe now are gonna look at differently having seen this one? Um, yeah, so uh, I'm a huge Ministry of Fear fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that film, and one of the things that um, that makes me love it so much is the uh, shadows in it. It like even more so than this movie uses shadows to like incredible effect. But I can see a lot of the style developing that shows up in that film in this film. Um, just like the the uh, kind of the way that he builds suspense uh, without even needing to resort to like Hitchcockian tricks. He just uses lighting and, and angles and, and shadows and, and mood so incredibly, incredibly well. Um, so yeah, I'm a huge fan of that one. I really want to see, uh, I, I haven't seen any of his uh, silent films. I mean, I love M. 
um, as well. But, but Ministry of Fear, yeah, I know that one's kind of random. It's like hundreds and, you know, it's like in the 600s or something, the Blu-ray. But I th- recommend that one heavily. If you if you like those sort of mid-40s Hitchcock films, I think Ministry of Fear is going to be right up your alley. Have you not seen Metropolis? I have seen Metropolis. Okay. I, um, I thought, I sorry, I thought we were confining it to uh, Criterion stuff. Oh, no, no I um, didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, Metropolis is... is um, a very interesting film to me. I need to see it again because so um, uh, I I saw it a long time ago, like probably uh, fourteen years ago, something like that. And and um, it was on the big screen, which was cool. But mm-hmm. I need to see it again and, and really like because uh, I have a much more of an appreciation for silent film than I did when I saw it. Because I remember at the time thinking that it was a little bit overwrought, mm. um, and I just feel like I'll feel very differently if I watch it again. Then there are also I, I I need to go back and rewatch M also like it's uh, M's so good I didn't even real I mean I, I must have forgotten that Loman was in both films because when I guess like whenever it was that I I watched M when the Blu-ray came out but I don't think I've watched it again since then and I guess I just never made that connection but with that character in the two films um, but now I really want having just watched Mabusa this week I want to go watch M soon just to kind of see that guy playing that character again. I don't know if you saw, but Filmstruck very creepily tweeted out that, that the guy from M would be a good Halloween costume for people. Oh, I did see that. <laughs> Which I do not agree with at all. <laughs> I wrote them back. That seems like an odd choice to me. But yeah, Peter Laurie and M is incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. M, is a, M is a masterpiece for sure. Yeah. You know, some of the other titles, you know, like Woman in the Moon or... Uh... Let's see. What are some of the other ones that Kino has done? The recently? Spider, Spider, Destiny, um, Destiny, mm-hmm. uh, Indian Tomb, Faust. I think did they? Uh, oh, that's Murnau. Um, uh, have they done, have they done Indian Tomb yet? I don't. They think did on so. DVD, uh, okay. but they have not released that one uh, on Blu-ray yet. Yeah, the last one was Spies. No, that was the last one. Let's see. So Kino just did Destiny, I think, was the most recent Blu-ray because that oh, okay. was one of the most recent uh, releases. But then they also, yeah, but yeah, they have done a, a number of other ones recently. Anyway, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a good time to be a you know Fritz Lang enthusiast and you know picking up all these new restorations. I don't know, I don't, I mean, it doesn't seem like there's a new, or at least like I haven't seen any news about any kind of new you know, print being discovered for the Testament of Dr. Mabusa. So as to whether or not like this might get a Blu-ray someday soon, it just seems like maybe they're just going to use whatever print. I think, I guess, you know, it seemed like Masters of Cinema used the same source as Criterion for their Blu-ray. They just did a high definition scan of it. So I don't think there's some new better version out there to be, you know, pulled from to make a a better blu-ray than what criterion did with the dvd um at least like i could not find any news about like you know oh new restoration for testament of dr mabusa so it seems like if they do a blu-ray it'll probably just be from the same source as this and so that that uh, that also might be why they're not in any rush to put one out yeah we'll get that it'll just say hd right it won't won't say 4k or 2k right is do you know so do you know if um stuff like with uh, woman in the moon do you know if if um if the keynote because there's also a uk release for that right eureka has a release of that as well 
Yeah. Um, Do you know right. which one's better? Is it? Does it make any difference? Uh, for that one, I don't think it makes a difference, but there are definitely people out there that prefer Masters of Cinema stuff over the Kino ones based on like framing issues or um, mm. like like uh, speed issues, you know, as far as like the PAL to NTSC mm-hmm. uh, stuff. So uh, I don't really mind either company or I prefer one over the other. Um, I mean, I like having these Masters of Cinema so that they, for uh, Mabusa the Gambler and Testament of Dr. Mabusa, they did Steelbook editions of those releases. And I'm not really like a Steelbook guy like or an enthusiast or anything like <laughs> i i don't honestly like don't care that much about steel books but just over the past week in kind of like handling these two movies more than i normally would uh i do see the appeal i mean they look so nice they feel so nice i mean they feel so much you know you might you might uh appreciate like the feel you know you're kind of you're an apple geek and so everyone right now is talking about how the iphone 7s feel you know whether or not like the 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 high gloss black finish is more tacky than the matte finish and all that all that that whole conversation like the the steel books just have this feel to them that makes it like you know something that you want to hold in your hand versus like having like this plastic case that's uh you know has like the you know a totally different feel or may, may feel just kind of normal and boring. But then when you hold these steel books, it's like, Oh, it's cold and kind of like clean and, and pretty. And, you know, there's, there's no title treatment on the cover for this one. And, you know, there's just like on the back, there's just like, all it says is the title plus like the, the credits and it's, I don't know. It's, it's pretty nice. The, I have to say the, uh, the MOC covers are mostly way better than the Kino ones. And they just look like, they're probably nicer additions from a packaging standpoint. So for me, that does definitely factor in. Um, although the fact that the Kino ones, I can actually play them probably uh, should draw me to them. Um, maybe it's finally time to, oh God, bite the bullet on the uh, the region free thing. Man, these, these MOC ones look really good. The Metropolis one looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're a first filling fan, you can like get all of these. You know, you can get really nice editions of a lot of his films. Although, I mean, I'm sure there's you know there's still many films of his that are you know either lost or unavailable on Blu-ray. I haven't seen the so there's the 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 1960 uh, Mabusa oh, film Thousand Eyes, Thousand Eyes, which was included in there's the Fritz Lang. Mabusa box set that Masters of Cinema released. Um, I haven't seen that last movie that he made, um, but Callet talks. He mentions it in, I think, the Masters of Cinema commentary track. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I, I am very interested in watching more of these Mabusa films, like you know, remakes and 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 you know, sequels and whatnot, and other films that have been inspired by it. Or, um, but I, uh, you know, I. I I think this movie kind of stands alone very well by itself. Yeah, I think it, it's probably worth noting that the other two Mabuza films um, are also available standalone Blu-ray from Master of Cinema, and the third one is not. <laughs> I don't know if that if that means it's not as good, but maybe not as popular. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to watch them too. Do you know if there's any? There's not even any rumors of more Lang from Criterion, right? Like, there's nothing. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I certainly haven't heard any rumors about any other releases that he that they might do 
Um, I mean, he certainly has a lot of movies, though, that he has directed over the years. But yeah, there. I mean, I guess I don't know. Uh, you know, you can also get actually some, I think, Manhunt and uh, Hangman Also Die. Those are those were released from Twilight Time here in the States. Also, I think there was one other one that they might have done. But um, I think the Cohen group has Hangman Also Die now. Oh, yeah, that's who it is. OK, so Hangman Also Die was from Cohen. I think Manhunt was from Twilight Time. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd have, to, I'd have to go back and look at like recent years of of uh, you know like the can classics lineup is usually a good place to start looking for for things like that or you know like the uh Cineteca di Bologna uh like what totally. have they what have they restored recently or what have they shown at some of their festivals and sometimes you know you'll see like so I guess if they if they have shown any Fritz Lang films um there is you know actually there was like a competing b- release of M that I think was released in Germany uh, on Blu-ray where it's a different transfer than what Criterion used. And I think Ooh. some people prefer it. And, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I think, I think Kino even released it in the States theatrically, but they mm. didn't have, they didn't have the home video rights, but they did mm-hmm. get this. And it was a different look than what was on that Criterion disc. Yeah. Just that's, man, I would love to see that doing some Googling while we're talking. I mean, it seems like most of the big langs are with someone in the U S already. So I don't know that there's anything for Criterion to get their hands on. Although you never know with like, uh, Cohen Group tends to hold on to stuff, it seems like. But if it, anything came out with Twilight Time, it could eventually then come out from Criterion. But it doesn't look like, it looks like Kino has most of his stuff. It's a little bit of a shame. But I, I think Kino also, or uh, Twilight Time also did the big heat, um, you know, the movie with Glenn Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't see any other big, any big titles that seem like they're just kind of waiting for someone to put them out i guess i'll just have to you know gird myself to non-criterion movie watching as as hard as that is to <laughs> i mean i guess you know we are you know just a matter of days or weeks away from filmstruck launching officially finally you know after they were delayed um testament of dr mabusa was part of the beta so you know, maybe we'll see if any other Fritz Lang films show up uh, on Filmstruck. I don't, I don't think any ones that we didn't know about showed up during the beta period, and so, um, but you know, who knows what might show up given that like Criterion has, you know, like over a thousand movies on Filmstruck is what the number is that I've seen. Yeah, and also like other companies that like Twilight Time or whoever. I'm oh not yeah, sure Twilight right. Time's part of it, but. Yeah, there are other companies that are going to be a part of it that weren't there at all during the beta, right? So yeah, so you might have access to you know all kinds of Fritz Lang films when you where, so you don't have to actually go out and get these discs right away, or at least if you want to you know watch them before you you buy them, you can do it that way. Yeah, we could go on like a little Fritz Lang uh, uh, marathon. All right, well, Arik, well, thanks so much for joining me tonight. So, listeners, uh, you can go get all of the episodes of Cinema Gadfly over at his website, uh, cinemagadfly.com, uh, or you can find them in the uh, over at the Criterion Cast. We have uh, syndicated a number of the episodes uh, there. Although you you can go back and get the the early ones um, over at Arik's website. Please do. <laughs> Is there anything that you're working on these days that you want to direct people to go check out online and read and what, or whatnot? Uh, no, I mean just you know continuing to write about the collection at uh, at, at Cinema Gadfly. Sometimes I post about 
uh, iOS Mac-y things at, at Medium. Um, I am working on some future projects, but none of them are imminent enough to, to really go into any details. So just, yeah, um, uh, I'll keep keep watching stuff, keep writing about it. And Oh, and, uh, you know, I'm on Twitter at, at CinemaGadfly if you're interested in that sort of thing. All right, everyone. Well, I don't know exactly what the next episode of the, of the main Criterion cast uh, show will be at this point. I don't know if we've decided on one yet. I kind of wanted to do two genre films for how for October, and the Eyes Without a Face episode took a little bit longer to edit than I had anticipated. And so uh, this episode, I'm not sure if it will be out in time before Halloween, but uh, I might just stockpile it for you know like a early November release. Um, so. We'll be back next time for another discussion of a Criterion Collection film. Thanks so much for downloading the show, and we'll see you then.